So, next week is Neighbor Day. Everybody say Neighbor Day. You say, I thought that was several weeks ago. No, 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 no. Neighbor Day is when I want it to be Neighbor Day. <laughs> so, we're going to have Neighbor Day. So, on Neighbor Day, what do we do? We invite our neighbors. Everybody say our neighbors. So, David, who's your neighbor? Kelly, who? Kinder, who's your neighbor? Oh, oh my God. I'm telling you, that's almost a repeat of what happened in the first service. I asked one person, they gave me one name of a neighbor. I asked another person, they said, I don't have any. And so, but the truth is, let's take a look in Scripture. Who is our neighbor? Everybody is our neighbor. We reach out to everyone, and the person that is really your neighbor is the one that cares about you, that takes time to check in on you. So everybody say, I want to be a good neighbor. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell all your neighbors about Ron's wonderful chicken that's going to be here next week. And uh, we're going to have smoked chicken, quarters and chicken breasts. We're going to have hot dogs. We're going to have barbecue. We're going to have chili of all kinds that everyone in here is bringing. It's a chili cook-off. You don't want to miss that. We had give away some great prizes. There's rumor that a trip to the Bahamas is coming up, but remember, that's just a rumor. And, uh, so there's, there's soup, but we're going to have a great time next week, so make sure to invite your neighbors for Neighbor Day. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, and get ready. We're going to start reading from verse 19. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we're grateful for your love and your mercy. We just pray, God, that you have your way in the service today. God, let me decrease so you can increase, and we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning on who's got your back. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, who's got your back? You know, we use that phrase all the time about, hey, don't worry about it. I got your back. How many of you have ever needed somebody to have your back? How many of you, how many of you have ever, you know, I mean, found yourself in a situation where someone really came through for you that had your back? Wave your hand. Let me show you this clip. Give me the brother, please. No, 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 not that clip. <laughs> Shut that one off. The, the little boy clip. And I'm not talking about Brian either. <laughs> you got it? Tonight, the miracle catch now seen by millions. The camera set up in the baby's room, Keep your eye capturing on the baby. it all. 35-year-old mom, Tila Levy, turns away for just a moment. 11-month-old Etan on the changing table. The baby begins to roll every parent's fear, and then he tumbles over the edge. Out of nowhere, his older brother, 9-year-old Joseph, catches him. 
He had his brother's back. He was standing in a doorway, and he saw his brother start to roll over, and he hollered, Mom, and he took off. And it was so funny because when they interviewed him, he said, he said you know, he said, I, I, I'm not really that strong. He said, you know, and, and he said, and, and, and he said, and the th funny thing is, he said, I'm not that fast either. But he, he bolted across that room and caught his brother before he hit the ground. Somebody say he had his back. You know, I talked in the earlier service, when you're in military, you want to make sure that the person you're going into battle with has your back. You've got, to, you've got to be able to depend on that person to be your eyes where you can't see and to be your hands where you can't defend. And so it's important that he has your back or she has your back. But what about in life? Have you ever been in a situation where you needed someone to have your back, but there was no one there for you? Now you can pull up, Paul. You can go ahead and give the sound on this this time, Mike. Go here, go. Watch your step. <laughs> he just, it's just like he just disappears. Whoa. <laughs> Watch the man oh, in the corner. <clears throat> even like looks like he sees it. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> oh, no, bless his heart. I'm like, I go walking around, I go, man, you okay? Oh, <laughs> bless his heart. Brian's rubbing his back, but that's not what he fell on. <laughs> and so the truth is, is that he needed someone there to have his back, to be able to reach out and stop him. I shared, I think it was last week or so, I was in Jamaica and I was doing a building project and we were on some rickety scaffolding and if I fell, it was, we were on the corner, the outside of the, the building and if I fell off, I'm over 18 feet down to the ground. If I fall off inside, I'm about six feet to the floor and there's rebar sticking up all over the place. And so I was getting ready to position a block. Then there was a wall that was already there. So I reached out to balance on that wall and I had that block in my hand. And when I reached out to balance on that wall, that wall moved. And when that wall moved, man, I started like that and I'm telling you God is my witness it was like someone grabbed me and held me to keep me from going off we need somebody that's got our back amen now the unique thing about that was Brian was there but he wasn't there he was in the room with Paul but he couldn't move quick enough to help Paul and Brian would discover that he would also need someone to have his back. Well, in this case, his head. Watch the window, the reflection in the glass. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to go into probably some uh, Bible study about not laughing at people's pain. <laughs> Because we had, we had the same thing happen in the first service. When everybody saw Paul, everybody went, oh. And when they saw Brian, they, ah, ha, ha, yeah. I don't know what you've done to these folks, Brian. But, <laughs> but, and honestly, when he told me about that, that was like two years ago. And I thought he was kidding me. I didn't believe that it happened. I thought he was just putting me on until I saw that clip. When he said, no, that really happened, I went to the security cameras and pulled that up, and I happened to record it so we could use it because a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. If somebody say, we need someone to have our back. So my question is, who's got your back today? 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. The Philistines had the Israelites under their thumb. They refused to allow Israel to have any blacksmiths in their land for fear that they would make weapons of war. So you've got thousands of soldiers that have no swords or spears, just sticks. And they're supposed to do battle with sticks. They kept them in a suppressed position so that they would not be able to fight and they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have to fear an attack from them. But in spite of that, the, the only people in Israel that had swords and spears during that time was King Saul and his son Jonathan. And in spite of that, Jonathan took a thousand men and he attacked a garrison of the Philistines. And when he did, those thousand men defeated them. Now, I don't know if they outnumbered them or what was going on, but they won that battle. And when they won that battle, it did something to Israel. And all of a sudden, you know, they, it, it, well, it, let me rephrase that. When they won that battle, it did something to the Philistines. The Philistines grew very angry when they found out that they'd been beat back by a bunch of sticks. Now, hear me. How many of you have ever kept up with college basketball or football, and all of a sudden, you know, they rank these teams, and a few years ago, there was a team that hardly was even ranked. I, I can't remember how far down the totem pole they were, like 16 or 13 or something like that, and they beat it was either the number one or the number two seed. And boy, you talk about a, a beatdown. But that was the last time that happened because it was so embarrassing to them. They thought, we're going to be ready. So here's what you've got to realize is now the Philistines are so mad that they've gathered together all their troops. And there are so many of them that the Bible described them like the sand on the sea. And they have gathered together. And remember, these folks have swords and spears. 
when Israel saw that, man, they become afraid. They start hiding in caves and pits and thickets and in the brush. They're, they're doing their best. They're, they're in the rocks. They're hiding everywhere they can because they're afraid of the battle that's going to come. Now, it's in the midst of this fear that Jonathan makes a decision. Everybody say, Jonathan decides. Now, this is what Jonathan decides. It's found in 1 Samuel 14 and 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. In the midst of all this fear, Jonathan finds strength and courage. And he stands up and he says, let's go over. And we're not going to hide. We're going to confront the enemy. Let's go over because it may be, everybody say maybe, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, I'm not going to focus on Jonathan today because we, we've seen his courage and his focus, but I want to talk about the armor bearer because this is what you've got to remember. Who's got the sword in their hand? Somebody? Jonathan. And what's the armor bearer got? A stick. Come up here, Brian. So Jonathan is asking his armor bearer to take a stick to a sword fight. Okay, you ready? We're just going to go at it for a little bit. <laughs> see, th this, is, this, is, this is what I want you to see. It's kind of like, you know, and, 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 and these are the words that Jonathan uses to encourage the armor bearer. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm the armor bearer, I'd have probably looked at Jonathan and said, Got short end of the stick again. <laughs> I probably looked at him and said, and it may be that he won't. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, if, 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 if we're going to do this, I got an idea. You take the stick and give me the sword. But he doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, the amazing thing about what takes place here is how the armor bearer responds to what he's been asked. And the armor bearer looked at Jonathan and he said, you do all that's in your heart. I'm with you according to your heart. And at that moment, Jonathan knew that somebody had his back. I want you to understand that when you're asked to go to battle with a stick in your hand and you're willing to say, I got you, I got your back, it wasn't what was in his hand that made the difference in that battle. It was what was in his heart. You got to quit looking at yourself and saying I don't have what it takes I'm not able you need to know that if your heart God has got your heart then you got all you need to be able to win the battle somebody say who's got your back so they go they go to battle come on down here I don't want you to get your head stuck where it doesn't belong turn, turn around turn around turn around back to back you ready so they go into battle and back to back, and Jonathan has got a sword in his hand, but his armor bearer is taking these guys on with a stick. Show them what you got. 
Oh, man, give him a hand. Thank you, thank you. I'll tell you. Thank you, grasshopper. So, John, I'll be back after station identification. Jonathan, with the sword in his hand, goes out. But the highlight of that story is the man with the stick. Because the man with the stick isn't looking at what he's equipped with in his hand. He's feeling what's in his heart. And when it's in your heart, it'll make all the difference in the battle. Everybody say, who's got your back? Now, they go in to a space of ground about a half acre, and they defeat 20 Philistine warriors in that space of ground. There's two of them, and one of them has only got a stick. And they take out 20 of those soldiers. And when they do, that word spreads, and it has an impact on the rest of Israel. They start coming out of the rocks and out of the caves and out of the thicket and out of the bush. You see, it only takes you standing up and believing that God is able. It only, it may be, and friend, when all you got some maybe, you better put it on Jesus. It may be that the Lord will work for us. And he caused an entire army to respond. They go out, they gather, and they go into battle. Now, hear me, because I want to contrast something here. Jonathan brought strength and courage to the army of Israel, but his father brought distress. Look at this passage. 1 Samuel 14 and 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food that day. They're in the heat of a battle, and they're not allowed to eat. In the heat of a battle... And they can't refresh themselves or revive themselves. All because Saul said, you can't eat anything until I get my vengeance on my enemies. When it's about I and my, you're in a mess. Well, Jonathan hadn't heard what Saul said that day. So in the middle of that battle, there comes a point and Jonathan spotted a honeycomb and he took the end of his spear and he stuck it down in that honey and he put it to his mouth and his eyes lit up. Any of you ever have honey? Wave your hand if you've ever had a little honey. You need to pour a little honey on it. I'm telling you, there's something about honey. And I got, somebody gave me a great big jar and I can't wait to get in it. But there's something about honey that when any time I've taken honey, sometimes I just take a spoon and put in it and then take it out and let it drip. And then I'll put that spoon in my mouth. And I'm telling you, it's like instant energy. It's like, 
And Jonathan, when he dipped that spear in that honeycomb and put it in his mouth, man, his eyes brightened up and he had strength to go on. But all the warriors said, your father charged us with an oath that we weren't able, we're not supposed to eat anything. And he said, my father's done foolishly. He said, if we had been able to partake of the spoil, how much greater would the victory have been? And then something happens. Jonathan discovers uh, that his father doesn't have his back. At the end of the day, Saul finds out that Jonathan dipped the head of his spear or dipped his spear in honeycomb and put it to his mouth. And he said, Jonathan, you're surely going to die. He was going to kill his own son for tasting honey. Do you know why Saul didn't have Jonathan's back? It's because God didn't have John, or Saul's heart. Saul was self-seeking. Everybody say self-seeking. He was serving himself. And when you serve yourself, you're not following the heart of God. When all of a sudden it's about me and mine, and it's always about, you know, hey, it, you know, it's got to be all about me. You, you know anybody like that? Where all of a sudden, if you, if you go, if any of you ever played with a friend when you were a kid, you, it, you always had to play the game they wanted to play? Playing, I was playing marbles. How many of you ever played marbles? I know a lot of us have lost our marbles since we were young. I've lost mine. I got no clue where they went. I had some beauties too. We, we were playing marbles, and this guy had a great big steely. How many of you remember what a steely was? Wave your hand if you've got no clue what I'm talking about. Are you serious? Uh, see me after service, and I'll educate you on marbles. How many of you don't know what I mean when I say play marbles? Have you ever played marbles? You know what I'm talking about? Is anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about when I say playing marbles? Okay, bless your heart. We would take these marbles and we, we would play, and they were beautiful, clear like crystal, and they'd have like cat's eyes in them. Sometimes they were just mixed with color, and it was beautiful. It was like, you know, holding them up and looking. So I was playing, and a steely was a solid round circle. <laughs> it, it, was, it was made out of steel, and we called them steelies. And this, guy, this boy had one like about that big, and I was playing. How many of you remember the boulders? You know what I mean? The boulders were the big marbles. And I was playing one of my boulders, which was clear, and it had all types of color in it against his steely. But you always played marbles with the ones that were all chipped up because you didn't want to mess up your good ones. So you would put down the ones that you were playing for on the ground, and you would play with the bad ones. And we were playing, and man, I'm praying, God, I need that marble. I didn't even know who God was, but I knew I need that marble. And all of a sudden, I... I, I I threw man and I popped that marble and I said, Hi, I want to want it. And he, he tried to grab up his steely. No, no, no. This isn't going to end well for you. <laughs> 
It's when all of a sudden, you know, they, 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 they want to cut and run. How many of you have had people that just cut and run in your life? Left you feeling all alone and left you feeling used and abused. And, and, and when you've gone through things like that, it makes you real gun shy about trusting anyone. But I'm here to tell you today that there's someone you can trust that has your back, and it's God. Say it with me. God has got my back. Because God didn't have Saul's heart, God started looking for another man to lead the country. Verse, chapter 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. So there's a lesson here for us. You can't really have someone's back unless God has your heart. Let me say it again. You can't really have someone's back unless God has your heart because it's too easy to cut and run when things get difficult. But when God's got your heart and God sought a man after his own heart, and that man was who? David. David was a man after God's own heart, and David's a boy. He's about 17. He steps out on the battlefield, and you know the story, but let me elaborate on it just a little bit for you and touch one side of it that maybe you hadn't thought about. When he came to that battlefield and he saw all of Israel again paralyzed with fear over one man marching out and giving a challenge, David isn't arrogant and he's not cocky. When he sees Goliath and Goliath standing out there saying, I defy the armies of, the, of God, send me a man to fight. And when he sees that, all of a sudden, something inside of David, David's heart begins to leap. It's not David's uh, it's not David's military value. He hasn't fought as a soldier. It's not that he's been trained in war. It's that David's got a heart that says, who does he think he is to find the armies of the living God? And when he squares off with him, he looks at him and he said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And this, what's he doing? I'm telling you, it's not about what's in your hand it's about what's in your heart he didn't have a sword he had a sling but he took out a giant when God is in your heart it doesn't matter how many devils are on your trail when God is in your heart, it doesn't matter about the battle that wages around you or the storm that's threatening to capsize you because when God's got your heart, he'll come walking on the water in the midst of your storm and get you back to shore safely. Who's got your back? He does. God has got your back. I thought about 
all the battles that David took. And David, David comes through a time in his life where he has some heart trouble. Anybody ever been there? Any of you ever have any heart trouble? And you may have had some heart trouble naturally. I guarantee you, you've had heart trouble spiritually. Amen. How do you know that? Because I have. Well, what's that supposed to mean? If you're breathing and you've got flesh on your bones, you've had heart trouble. The Bible said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But this is what's unique. Is that when David has heart trouble, look what he does. When David has heart trouble, he goes to God. In the 51st chapter of Psalm, listen to what David says. David realizes he's got some heart trouble going on, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What's he doing? He's saying, God, I can't fix myself. I've got to have you fix me. I need a new heart. Create in me a clean heart. God, I don't like what I feel. I know it's wrong but I can't change myself change me God and that desperate cry brought David a new heart how many of you want a new heart how many of you old hearts been kind of messing up on you you know what I mean it gets irregular on rhythm well, what's that supposed to mean oh you know what it means it's We've all had heart trouble. It's kind of like when, oh, I like you, but I don't like you. That's heart trouble. That's a problem. You may not have the same heart trouble David had, but we've all experienced heart trouble. Whether it's been unforgiveness in our heart or bitterness in our heart or whether it's been anger in our heart or greed in our heart or covetousness in our heart. And some of that stuff, man, you, have, you, you mix all that stuff together, and you get a black heart, man. I mean, it just, it, it just turned into sludge. And David recognized, I can't fix myself. You know, I thought about the world that we live in today and all these. You ever go into, like, Barnes & Noble? It's amazing. They got a whole section on self-help. Think your, think your way to a better self. You're not going to think your way to a better heart. Amen. Just try it out. How many of you have ever been in the hospital over heart? Wave your hand if you've ever been there. Hold it, hold it up. Did you like your heart being messed up? Did you, did you think, I want a new one? When you thought it, did it happen? No, you got, you got to have some help up in there. <laughs> You, you know, I, it wasn't my heart, it was my gut. <laughs> and I, I was having some trouble with my gut. And I needed somebody to get in there and start searching around because I couldn't do that myself. I thought about it. <laughs> I thought, man, what is going on in there? Ever, any of you ever get to thinking, boy, if I could just get in there and get out what's going on. But then when he got in my gut, he found out that my colon was attached to my bladder. Now, that ain't right. 
That's not the way I'm made. But isn't it odd that how sometimes our emotion gets attached to our salvation? Somebody treats us wrong and all of a sudden now, instead of being able to forgive them, we've allowed our emotion to affect our salvation. Well, I ain't forgiving them. I ain't forgiven. I remember being in a revival, man. A mother and daughter had not spoke to each other in 20 years. I wanted to get them together and say, what is wrong with you? But I couldn't fix them either. You know what I found out? God could, and he did. <laughs> he did in that revival. They came together after 20 years of separation, and God fixed it. Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, he's got your back. God has got your back. Well, how do you know, brother, pastor, how do you know that God has your back? Well, all you got to do is go to St. John 3 and 17. And this is what John says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let me say that again. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, how does that apply to me? Well, how many of you have ever sat around and start thinking about how rotten you are and how you're not worthy of anything? And, you know, and, and man, I always mess things up and I can't do anything right and God wouldn't use me. Well, that's the biggest lie that came out of the pit of hell you ever heard. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent him into the world that through him you could be saved. The devil always tries to get you to focus on what's in your hand, and you need to get your eyes off of what's in your hand and begin to focus on what's in your heart because what's in your heart is going to make the difference in the battle you're in. Everybody say in my heart. Jesus was a man that was after God's own heart. How do you know that? Follow him into Gethsemane. He knows what's getting ready to happen. And he goes into Gethsemane and he says, not my will. He's not self-seeking. He's seeking the will of God. He said, not my will, but your will be done. If you'll allow me this is what Jesus was saying. Do all that's in your heart, God. I'm with you according to your heart. If he, had, if he had operated according to his heart, he already told you what was in his heart. I don't want to do this. But he yielded what he wanted to what God wanted. And God wanted us. And he knew that the only way to get us was to give him. So there is no question today about whether or not God's got your back. Everybody say, God's got my back. Here's the question. Does God have your heart? Because if he doesn't have your heart, you don't need to worry about who's got your back. Because it's your heart that's going to make the transition from here to there. It's what's in your heart, not what's in your hand, that's going to change your world. It doesn't matter whether you're carrying a sword or a stick. 
I need to be making sure I carry him in my heart. Look, I've told you already, I've had some heart trouble. I've had times in my life where I had to go to God and say, God, I know what I feel isn't right, but I can't change what I feel. So I'm asking you to change me. Have you ever had someone in your life, and you don't have, I don't anybody shout out the name, but have you ever had someone in your life that, you know, just really turned you the wrong way? You know what I'm talking about? Wait, wave your hand if anybody's ever had that. Wait, hold, well, let me do it this way. If you've never had that, hold your hand up, and I'll give you some names. <laughs> Say, what well, you know what I'm talking about. You can't help. There, there are times in our lives that people have done things to us, and we can't hardly help but want to spit when we hear their name. We, it's hard for us to even talk about it, and, and we get, and, and somebody mentions it, and all of a sudden, we thought it was all under the blood. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it comes rushing back in to your mind, and it's trying to creep into your heart. And God's saying, look, I got you back. I'm not going to let the devil take you out, but you need to give me all your heart, not just part of it. Don't reserve part of it for something else. Give me your whole heart. You know what happens when you have the whole heart? You've got a warrior. You've got, my wife beat me up last service. I, I was out in the lobby and some guy stopped me and said, does your wife beat you up every day or just on Sundays? <laughs> huh? Explain, explain nothing. No, okay. No. <laughs> so what I was doing, come on up, babe. Don't hit me this time. Okay. See, now you got more people wanting to whip me. Okay. So, so here's, here's what happened. I was talking about when, when you have the heart, you create a warrior. Because how many of you mamas love your children? And, man, if you, if, if you don't have grandchildren yet, you wait. Grandchildren. You know, they talk about robbing a bear of her cubs. You know, that's... And, but when you get grandchildren, that's like that grizzly bear on steroids, man. That's like, and, and I'm telling you that if you, if I, I can promise you that this sweet, delicate creature that stands before you today that is always so soft-spoken and is always, don't work me over, and always, and always giving you, I don't trust you now, and always giving you hugs, and always giving you hugs out there, you... You, you try and lay a hand on her grandchild, on her grandbabies, and you're gonna, she's going to make Wonder Woman look like a wimp. She's going to, all of a sudden, man, you're going to unleash a bear in her, and she's going to take, not just take you on, she's going to take you out. Thank you. Give her a big hand. What, what's your point, Pastor? My point is we've got to quit walking around like we're whipped and defeated. You've got to quit acting like all you've got is a stick in your hand. It's not about what's in your hand. Quit looking at the stuff around you and making judgment calls about what's in your hand and take a look in your heart. And when you recognize who you have in your heart, you know, oh, man, I, I remember years ago when I, I didn't know God, man. So when God first introduced himself to me and I felt him, buddy, I was like Clark Kent in a phone booth. 
How many of you don't even know who Clark Kent is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of them don't even know what a phone booth is. So, <laughs> Boy, this is getting hard. I'm lo- Let me reel this in here. So Clark Kent was Superman disguised as a reporter. Got it? And every once in a while when Lois Lane cried for help, Come here, Lois. <laughs> yeah. She, you're my Lois Lane. So he's just a mild-mannered reporter, wears glasses, and everybody thinks he's kind of wimpy. You know, but boy, when she cried for help. <laughs> I, got, I got an S on my chest. And it doesn't mean Superman, it means saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'm telling you, I serve a God that's got my back and he's got my heart. Would you stand with me today? When God has your heart, you have become a warrior. And sometimes you don't even realize you are. I've stood in front of professors. I've stood in front of people that were a lot more intelligent than I was. But when there was an attack made on faith or on God, and it's not that God needs me to defend him. It's just that there's something in me that all of a sudden begins to well up. I remember talking to a guy I worked with, and he'd given his heart to God, and, but he, he wasn't treating it, right? I thought about what Richard said about that we can't just treat this anyway. This is eternity. This is important. And I remember that guy, he'd given his heart to God, and I went and talked to him, and I was asking him about, you know, how things were going and he looked at me and he said well I backslid a little over the weekend I went and got drunk and he was laughing about it man I'm telling you and it wasn't me I know the difference between me and him and all of a sudden out of nowhere man I felt this well up in me and he was sitting on a forklift and I walked up to him and I pointed at him and I said let me tell you something I said this isn't anything to play games with we're talking about your soul and God doesn't tap dance and, I, and, and man, his eyes got big, and I walked away from him, and I thought, oh, I might not have ought to have said that. But it wasn't long. A few hours later, that boy came back by on that lift. He jumped down off of it and came to me, and he said, Rick, I just want you to know I've repented before God. And I, he said, I went back in that warehouse. I've repented before God. He said, do you understand what's in your heart can tear down strongholds? What's in your heart can stand against demonic forces if what's in your heart is God. David was a king that God never forgot. Study the Old Testament. Hundreds of years after David's gone and these other kings are ruling, God speaks to these other kings through prophets and says, 
you're not like my servant David that followed me with all his heart. Wow. You see, God had promised David something, an everlasting dynasty. He said, there will not cease one to sit on that throne. Man, all those years and and good kings would come that would have a heart of David, but the bad kings seemed to outweigh him until finally Judah is just taken away and Jerusalem falls. But God never forgot his promise. David, I got you back. Until, well, what about today? Oh, let me tell you about today. Today, there's a king that rules. And he is going to set and rule the nations with a rod of iron. And he's got a heart that's after God. His name is Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus. And he's not, I, I've heard this, oh, Jesus is coming back. When they, can I tell you, Jesus is not coming back soon. Jesus is coming back quickly. If I tell you, oh, I'm going to be at your house pretty soon, you've got time to hide your dirty clothes. You've got time to pick them up and, you know, and, and wash your dishes and, and clean up and dust. You've got time. But when I show up quickly, when I show up quickly at your house, that means you look outside and I'm in your driveway. And you're throwing dirty clothes under the couch, man. And you're trying to, you, you, you just, oh, because there's no time to prepare. I, I never forget, man, when we were, I, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I frame this. Shut the camera off a second. No, I'm kidding. So we're at home and I, we lived in Southern Illinois. And, I, and all of a sudden we had some folks show up in our driveway, pulled up in the driveway. And my mom says, everybody hide, don't say a word. Man, we all run to the bedrooms and we're hid. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Mom, I don't think they're going to go. Leave, quiet. Ding dong, ding dong. And finally, they left. And we came out of hiding. And they came back. This is what you got to understand. When Jesus shows up, there ain't going to be no hiding from him. It's game over. And if he's in your heart, you're going to find out that you can fly. If he's not, you're going to cry out in despair. I don't want you to leave here today without making sure that God's got your heart. Would you do that with me right now? Just right where you're at, just stretch your hands to heaven. And make a, just say it in your own words, but I'll pray. You just put it in your own words. God, we come before you today asking you to repair our hearts. I know, God, that I can't get through life without heart problems. God, I don't want those problems. I, I can't fix those problems. I can't fix what's wrong with my heart, but you can. That's why today we choose to give you our hearts totally and completely. God, repair the damage that's been done, the hurt and the bitterness that I, we feel. And 
God, the unforgiveness that may be trying to hide in a corner of it. God, wipe it clean so our hearts can be pure before you and cause us to become mighty warriors so that we can have someone else's back. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if you're in this house today and you say, Pastor, I need God to touch me. You may need a physical touch in your body. God can heal you. But I don't want to be healed and go to hell. So I want to make sure that my heart's right too. And so God can take care of you. You've got a financial need. God can meet that need. You may not know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. We just trust him. We give him our hearts and trust him to put in our hand what we need. So if you're in here today and you've got a need, I'm going to take a moment right now and invite you to come forward and we'll pray with you. As they sing this song, you can come forward, okay? Sing it. To yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all.
about a meeting following this. If you're going to Branson, a quick meeting in the conference room, give me about five minutes. I'll be there. You can stop by, shake someone's hand. That gives you enough time to hug somebody's neck because you all need to hug somebody's neck. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, you better look out. I'm getting ready to hug you. <laughs> all right. As we raise our hands to heaven, Father, we're grateful and thankful for you, for your love for us. God, a love that keeps giving, Lord, and that apprehends our hearts. May our hearts always belong to you. And we thank you from now and forever because not only do you have our backs, but you, God, have our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you.